night. Good morning. Everybody doing good today? Woohoo! Some of you are. Somebody, anybody have a good Valentine's uh, weekend? Uh, it doesn't sound too encouraging. Golly. All right. Well, maybe we ought to you know, try something else then. But anyway, hopefully, you know, like we were talking about it upstairs, Valentine's is one of those, uh, those weekends or one of those, uh, days or holidays, whatever that, uh, can be great. Depending on where you are in life, right? There can be bad. And, uh, we know that it's not the best for everybody, but hey, I think what we're talking about today might get you to the point where one day that might be a pretty cool day. So I'm just saying. So today we're talking about uh, Meet in the Middle. This is a series on love songs. And uh, I don't know if you guys know the song by Diamond Rio called Meet in the Middle. But this was a big song for Laurie and I. We loved this song uh, when we were in uh, college. And uh, anyway, so that song talks about meeting in the middle. You know, I start walking your way and you start walking mine. And uh, we'd meet in the middle beneath that old Georgia pine. And so uh, we, we used to sing this all the time, and, and uh, we would make plans and stuff. But to me, there's a lot of truth in that, in that if we're willing to work at, you know, at our relationship and meet in the middle, if we're willing to give a little space, if we're willing to work at what we, what we claim to be a, a relationship, you know, then it's going to be okay. And I think there's a lot of things that we can draw from the Scriptures today that will speak to that. But that's a, that's a great start. You know, hey, listen, I'll start walking your way. I'll start giving up some space. I'll start giving up some turf. I'll start moving in your direction. And that's what it takes. And so listen to this great passage where we look back in the very beginning of Scripture where it talks about a man and his wife or husband, uh, man and woman. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now, some of you guys who didn't have anybody with you on Valentine's, you're going, you know what, there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, I, I agree. Amen. So hopefully things will be different moving forward. But a lot of that starts with how we work on us. So the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took one of the man's, one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. And he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And so that's a great scripture. It's laid out in the very beginning of the of the uh, the Bible that we see that you know what God says. That, hey, this is how God created us, man. One man, one man, one woman for a lifetime, and it says that the two will become one. And so that two is a dying to self and moving towards hey us being on the same page, us giving a little ground, us moving in the right direction. And so when we look back at this passage here, you know, there's a couple things that we can draw from that. Number one is that God has a plan, and he, and he has someone that's just perfect. You know, and you might think, well, Mike, you know, I still haven't met them or whatever. But I'm just saying we have to work on us before God will ever put somebody in our life. You know, back whenever I was in the dating realm, if you would, it's a long time ago, you can look at me and tell. But when I was dating, I felt like every relationship ended up kind of getting off track. And so I made a decision. I said, God, I said, I want to fall in love with you. I want to fall in love with you. I want to, I want to fall in love with Christ. I want, I want that to be my focus. And, uh, and so I had just broken off a relationship, kind of ended that. And so, you know what, from this point forward, and I made a covenant, if you will, or a commitment to God. I said, God, for the next six months, I don't want to date anybody. I don't even want to, I don't, I don't want to be involved in any kind of relationship. I want to fall in love with you. And so I get back from, uh, I had been serving as an intern at a church in Houston, Texas that summer. I get back, and one of the first days that I'm back, I meet a cute little blonde named Laurie Wade. You know, and uh, and I thought, you know what? Neat girl. Uh, neat girl. But I wasn't dating, and I wasn't dating anybody. 
And uh, she went home and she told her mom and dad, she said, you know what? I want to marry somebody like Mike Mazinga. And I'm thinking, hey, man, all right, you know, making some tracks there. But anyway, but I did. I stuck to my uh, commitment. I stuck to my covenant. I did not date anybody for six months. And, I, and so I didn't get involved in any relationships because I wanted to fall in love with God. So here's the thing. Laurie was doing the same thing. You know, when I met her, like I said, she was incredible. And uh, the more that I would get to know her, the more I realized how much she loved God. She had not missed a quiet time in like two or three years, which was mind-boggling for me. I mean, I was lucky if I could get through a week not without missing one. But she had gone two or three years without missing a quiet time. You know, she was memorizing Scripture, and she would leave verses on my card. It would literally be a Scripture and say, hey, listen, I just wanted to encourage you today. You know, God has given us this great treasure in, in jars of clay, and I hope that your day is a great day. And so we started kind of getting to know each other because of our relationship with the Lord. So I'm walking through Sanford. There was a... Uh, uh, a thing that they would do where everybody would kind of go in and you could sign up for different ministries and you could kind of get involved in different organizations and stuff. And I walked through and here's this cute little blonde that I had met a few weeks earlier and she's starting up a homeless ministry to go down and feed the homeless people in Birmingham. And I'm thinking, what kind of chick is this, you know? I mean, she's just different. And uh, and so the more that I got to know Laura, the more I realized, man, she loved the Lord. She had been saved and it had changed her, it radically changed her. And so the thing is, is, both of us were pursuing our relationship with the Lord, and the more that we began to pursue God, the more that we were chasing after God, the more that we were being brought together. And I'm just telling you, there's truth in that. And for some of you, you know, you're thinking, well, maybe one day I'll meet somebody like that. Number one, you got to be, you got to be working on you. You got to let God work on you. I used to always tell young people, hey, listen, if you want a prince, you got to be a princess. If you want a princess, you got to be a, you got to, you got to, you know, be a prince. You got to be willing to work at you and work on you. Because here's the thing: is God is working on you. God is working on you. He is trying to make you more and more like Christ every day. And so a couple of things here, and I want to give you a heads up for next week. All right, so today we're talking about Meet in the Middle by Diamond Rio. All right, and I know Tony uh, Mess said a couple of weeks ago whenever he was teaching that, you know, if you like country music, that's what's wrong with America. I like all kinds of music. I'm talking about all kinds. I like rap. I like uh, classical. I like any of it, as long as it's good. As long as it's good, as long as it has got some kind of message in there, you know, and, and so I like all kinds of music. So I'm not kind of down to one. Maybe you guys are closed mind, you only like one type. I'm just telling you, there's all kinds of stuff out there that you could draw from. So, but next week, we're going to be doing Song of Solomon. So Song of Solomon is next week. So I'm giving you the heads up, kind of giving you a preface on that so that you can go, hey, you know what, it's going to be talking about sex. Yes, we're talking about sex in here next week, how God sees it, how God wants to bless it in the right place. And so here's the thing is I want you guys to understand we have a great children's ministry right over here. You might want to take them over there next week. Might Make sure that they're involved. And you, if you haven't checked it out, you might want to do that. And so we are going to be talking about God's view of intimacy and sex. And so we'll be in Song of Solomon next week. So it might get a little heated in here. And uh, who knows, it might be packed out in here next week. You never know. So we might get here early. But I wanted to give a heads up. I didn't want y'all coming in and say, well, if he'd have told us, you know, but I'm telling you, and we'll have some signs up next week letting you know as you walk in in case you forget. So we have great children's ministry right over here. So just letting you guys know. Because we're going we're gonna to be open and honest about what God says about that. So here we are looking at this, Christ-centered relationships. So this is what I want you to understand is Christ-centered relationships, that really is not just about marriage. Let me be clear. You know, if, if you're a guy in here in this room, then man, let me just tell you this. You need a man in your life that loves you that cares about you, that prays for your marriage, prays for your family. You need a guy that is in the trenches with you. Ladies, you need a lady that's right there with you the same way, that loves you, that's praying for your marriage, praying for you, and they're willing to speak the truth to you in love. And so here's the thing. 
Christ-centered relationships, if you've got two guys that, you know, they're both believers, they both love God, here's the thing, they're going to love each other with a deeper love than you'll ever find from anybody else. And they're going to care enough to speak the truth into one another, and they're going to hold each other accountable. And ladies, I'm telling you, you need the same thing. You need a lady in your life that it's a Christ-centered relationship. But I will say this, but in a marriage, it is vital. It is vital that we have Christ-centered marriages, that our relationship is focused on Christ. And so I want us to kind of look, walk through a couple of things here. But this is the great, uh, the great commandment. It says, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. And so you've got to be willing to say, God, I love you more than anything else. God, I, I want to love you with everything that I'm made of, everything that I've got. God, I want to love you. And here's the thing. When we love God like that, it's the greatest commandment. And so it's not, a, it's not a suggestion. It is a commandment to love God with everything that's in us. If we love God, we will love people completely different than if we do if, without God in our life. We'll be selfish. We'll be, it'll all be about us. We'll be greedy. We'll be jealous. All those things that contaminate relationships, that is what will ruin a relationship. But if you love God with everything that's in you're pursuing him, you're chasing after him, and you're doing everything you can to become more and more like Christ, you'll have great relationships. Now, there's still another side to that. That's why meeting in the middle is so important. And so in a Christ-centered relationship, Jesus is where you meet. Jesus is where you meet. In a Christ-centered relationship, Jesus is in the middle of it. He is the glue that holds it together. He is the conviction that we feel whenever we feel like we're drifting off, when we're not as close as we once were. Jesus is in the middle. So if we meet at Christ, then here's the thing. We, we've got a good foundation in our marriage. I think back to like Lori and I, whenever we were, we, we were dating each other, we began to date each other. We tried to make sure that, you know what, we kept Christ as the center of our relationship. We, we still battle the same battles that everybody else battles, but you know what, we wanted Christ to be the center of it. We got married, I was thinking about this this morning, we got married, we made $400 less a month than what it took to pay the bills. But yet God provided somehow, some way. I would end up speaking somewhere, doing something somewhere, doing something on the side to make enough to make ends meet. And I'm thinking, how in the world did we make it? I remember we would eat out once a month at Chili's. We would go get fajitas for two. Anybody ever done that? So that's only once a month we got to eat out. Once a month we got to eat out. But we, here's the thing. Is, and I can remember telling Laura, hey, listen, we've got to tithe. And she was like, we can't afford to tithe. I was like, we can't afford not to. But we worked together on those things. And somehow, some way, God made, us, made it through. God would always provide. And here we are, you know, 27 years later, God has blessed us with a marriage that, you know what, we love each other. We still have to work together. And so I'm telling you, in Christ-centered relationships, Jesus is where you meet. He's not a part of it. It's not, hey, let's sprinkle a little Jesus on our relationship. That's not the way it works. I'm telling you, you've got to be willing to say, you know what, Jesus is the focus of our, our, our relationship. And so if I'm focusing on Christ, if Laurie's focusing on Christ, man, I'm telling you, it's going to be a lot stronger relationship. I used to tell young people, and, you know, a lot of times they're, hey, you know, I want to meet somebody one day or whatever. And I would always tell them the same thing. Hey, listen, if you're here, and this person's way over here, but if you're both working your way towards Christ, you'll meet one day. God will orchestrate that. But you've got to be pursuing him. You've got to be chasing after him. You've got to be, you know, passionate about that relationship with God. And so here's the thing. We have to each work on our own personal walk with Christ. You can't, you can't get it on, on what your wife is doing. And let me just say this to some of the men in the room. If your wife is doing a Bible study, if she's memorizing Scripture, if she is in, God, in, in God's Word, then don't think that, hey, you know what, that's going to be what fixes our marriage. It's going to be you doing your part. Men, hear what I'm saying. You need to be in God's Word. You need to be spending time in God's Word, memorizing Scripture, you know, and, and applying that text to your life. And say, you know, God, how can I become a 
a godly husband, a stronger leader in our home? How can I lead our family? And, and I would say the same thing to the ladies. Hey, if, if your husband is doing that, don't think, hey, well, he's going to do enough to fix everything. He won't. It takes both of you working at your personal walk with Christ, enjoying that personal walk with Christ. You know, I, I remember years ago, a guy named Mike Hatcher, uh, I, I worked at a, an apartment complex uh, helping out part-time there. And, uh, and Mike was the maintenance guy there, and I had an opportunity to lead Mike to, his, Mike to Christ. And anyway, his wife came in and ended up leading her to Christ all the same Saturday morning. They, they'd fix me breakfast because I was a college student, and I loved food, you know. And they said, hey, man, you want to come over and eat breakfast? I said, yes. Yeah. So I went over there, and we kept talking about Christ. We kept talking about what it meant to be saved. And I just said, Mike, do you want to give your life to Christ? He goes, man, I sure do. And he prayed to receive Christ. His wife prayed to receive Christ. He goes, Mike, he goes, I want my whole family to be baptized. I'm like, hey, dude, Mike, that's not the way it works. They each have to make that decision. They each have to come to the point of where they realize, you know what, hey, man, I'm a sinner. I have sinned. I have messed up. I have blown it. I need a Savior because I'm broken. And so I personally want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. You can't get it off your dad's coattails. You can't get it off your mom's coattails. You, and I'm just saying, you can't get it off your spouse's coattails. If you're in here today and you're in a relationship where your spouse is living for the Lord, maybe they're a believer and you're not, I'm just telling you, you're not going to make it on theirs. I had a family come in one time. They had a couple of kids, and the little boy was wanting to be baptized. And, and so I sat down, and I was talking with the little boy, and, and, I, and I felt confident that he understood what sin was, and he understood that he needed a Savior, and he understood what it was to receive Christ. And, then I, and, and they said, well, hey, we want you to talk to our little girl, too. And I began to talk to her, and I realized, you know what? This is kind of like a game for her. And I was like, she's not ready. Well, then she started crying. Then Mama started crying. I'm like, I'm just telling you. She's not ready, and I'm not going to baptize her until I feel like she's confident in what she, you know, she believes. Because here's the thing. If she just goes through the waters and get, gets wet, I don't want her some, someday down the road going, hey, you know what? I got baptized one time, and I was like, you just got wet. So you have to know what it means to be, you know, I'm a sinner, that I am in need of a Savior. And then whenever you put your faith in Christ, you do it by faith alone. It's not by works, anything else. And so then you can confidently go through the waters of baptism. And so I would just say this to every mom and dad in the room. Make sure that your kids know what it means to be a believer. They should see that in you. And I'm going to just say this. If mom and dad are pursuing a right relationship with God, it will be evident to them what, how, how to be saved and how to have a right relationship with God. It's the greatest thing you could give your kids. And I'll just say this. It's not an education. It's not a better you know, opportunity to play in sports. Mom and dad, the best thing you could give your kids is for you to love each other, love Christ, and to do everything you can to build stability in your home. That's the greatest gift you can give your kids. I had a young lady the other day sitting in my office, and we were talking. We were going through premarriage counseling. We were talking about divorce. Her parents were divorced, and she began to weep. And I said, does that divorce still hurt you? And she goes, yes. I said, do you want to be divorced? And she was like, no. I said, why? She said, because I know what it feels like for the kid. So let me just say this to mom and dad. The greatest thing you can give your kid is not money. It's not education. But it's for both of you to love each other with everything that's in you and to love Christ. Because what you're giving that kid is the, what the real meaning of love is and a solid foundation to build their life on. And so you've got to be willing to say, you know what, I want to model that. And so we model that by each of us working on our own personal walk with Christ. And then look at the next one here. Christ-centered relationships pray together and for each other. Christ-centered relationships pray together and for each other. And so I would encourage you, if you've never prayed before, and I know there's been many people here, um, you know, that, are afraid to pray out loud. They're afraid to pray in front of anybody. And, and there may be some of you in the room that, you're, that you go, Mike, that's me. 
One night we did a thing in here on First Wednesday where we, we did a thing on prayer. And that's what we're going to be teaching on over the next few uh, months on, on First Wednesday is on the power of prayer. And I had a lady, she uh, came up to me afterwards because I asked them to kind of gather up in groups. And I said, I just want you to pray in your group. Just, you know, just one sentence. And uh, she came up to me and she goes, I want to tell you. She goes, I almost bolted out the door. And I said, well, why didn't you? And she goes, I didn't feel like I was supposed to. She said, but I prayed tonight for the very first time out loud. And she goes, it was the most incredible feeling for me. And, and so we had a lady who served in our, our front office here for years as a receptionist, Miss uh, Leah Chandler. And Miss Leah, for years, had never prayed in front of anybody. Miss Leah went on to be with the Lord a couple of years ago. But here's the thing. is she, she was able to share with me that, you know what, she goes, I was finally able to pray out loud in front of somebody. And I realized, you know what, I'm not praying to them. I'm praying to God. I said, that's exactly right. And so, so it's, it's important for us to pray with one another. It's important for us to pray over each other and pray together. So Christ-centered relationships pray together and for each other. Let me just say that. That's not just in the marriage. If, if you're a guy and you've got a friend and man, they're going through a tough time praying over them, that goes a long way. If, if you're a lady and you've got a friend and she's going through a tough time, you praying over them goes a long way. This past week I had a friend of mine send a text where he had uh, t- been talking to a guy on the phone and the guy was going through cancer. And he said, man, if you don't mind, can I just pray with you on the phone? And, and he prayed with the guy on the phone. Well, it made such an impact. The guy emails him or texts him back and says, hey, listen, I just want you to know I shared about what you did the other day in my Bible study, that it made a difference in my life. And so just praying with people and praying over people is powerful. First Wednesday, this past first Wednesday that we did, you know, I invited families to come to the front and pray together. And I had a, a, a guy tell me, he, you know, he went down with his wife and he prayed. And she, she said, hey, listen, I just want you to know what it meant to me that you took me by the hand, you took me down, and you prayed over me. So, men, if you want to get some, some points in, I'm telling you, don't do it fake, but be a prayer warrior for your wife. Pray over her. There's something powerful about putting your hand on your, your wife's head or over her back and just praying over her, praying God's blessings over her. And, and I'm going to say, ladies, don't hesitate to pray over your husband. Pray over your husband. Pray over him. So there's something powerful about that. Let me give, give you three quick things. This is not in your notes, but I'll give you this quick, three quick things that will kind of help you in prayer. Number one, keep it short. Keep it short. Don't have to pray all over the, around the world. You don't have to pray for thirty minutes where they're going like, "Oh my gosh, man, what are they talking about?" But keep it short. But keep it real. Keep it kind of short and concise, but keep it real. And what I mean by keeping it real, don't go, "Oh, holy God, we just want to," you know. Don't start doing all that. Don't start praying flowery prayers that you don't really mean. You keep it real. And here's the thing: you're not trying to impress who you're praying over. You're praying to who? You're praying to God. You're not trying to impress the person you're praying over. You're praying to God. You want to be real with God. He already knows your heart. He knows what's going to come off your tongue before you let it go. So you want to be real with God. Keep it short. Keep it real. And then I would say keep it consistent. Consistently pray together. Consistently pray over one another. Consistently go and stand in the gap for your spouse. You know, if they're going through a tough time, pray for them. If you know they're having a tough meeting today, pray for them. And so I'm just telling you, keep it short, keep it real. And let me just say this. Don't pray to you. Know, if you're praying over your spouse, don't pray like you're telling them something. You're talking to God. If you want to tell them something, then say, hey, let me talk to you. And let's have a face-to-face. Let's have a one-on-one. And you talk to them. But don't try to use prayer as a way to talk over them or to tell them something you're not willing to tell them face-to-face. You talk to God on their behalf. You pray to God on their behalf. But don't sit there and use it as an excuse to badger them. But if anything, you pray over them, pray blessings over them. There's a line in that song from uh, Meet in the Middle. It says, when, uh, 
we'd meet in the middle beneath that old Georgia pine. And I thought about this this morning. When I think about Christ-centered relationships, beneath that old Georgia pine, and it's kind of popped into my head, you know, what if, it, if we were to kind of take, take it and go this way? We meet in the middle beneath the old rugged cross. What if we were to say, you know, because the greatest tree to ever happen was the cross of Christ. But instead of meeting under an old pine, what if we were to meet under the, the tree that brought life, the, the, the cross of Christ? If we said, you know what, that's where my marriage is at. It's at the foot of the cross. You know, and, and that's where we meet. And so there's times whenever we're going through tough times, we're not agreeing on everything. But, man, when we come together, we come together at the foot of the cross. Realizing, you know what, that Christ has purchased us. He, he has forgiven us. And if he can forgive us, then we've got to be willing to forgive one another. Imagine if you were to, when you come to the front or you come to where to pray or maybe you get down by your bed. What if you imagined getting on your knees at the foot of the cross and you realize, you know what, Christ took care of our sin. Christ took care of our marriage. Christ took care of our need. Christ took care of everything that we would need through the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. And so whenever we meet together, we have that mentality that we meet at the old rugged cross. So look at this next one. Relationships are tough by design. A friend of mine, who he and his, uh, uh, his, his wife, they have an incredible ministry where they minister to broken marriages and broken relationships. And, and one of the statements that uh, they always make is... Marriage is, 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 uh, is difficult by design. And so relationships are tough by design. So marriage is difficult by design because God uses it to reveal some of our, our brokenness. And he uses our spouse to bring about sanctification. But look at this passage here out of Ephesians. It says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down, on, down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work, good hard work. And then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. And let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. There's, you know, there, there's so much to work on in that. Would you agree? I mean, you look at, when you look at that passage, you go, man, that, that's a lot of hard work. That's, that's a lot of change taking place there. But the thing is, is we have the, the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. For those of us in this room that we have put our faith in Christ, the Bible says, and it says it right there, that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing our deliverance one day. And so there's a guarantee that Christ lives within us. And so we have the power of God at work within us. So the very God that we sing to, the God that we worship, that we say he is all-knowing, he is all-powerful, is able to change me. He's able to change you. And so let's kind of unpack a little bit of this as we move through this. And so look at what he says again. He says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. So in other words, he's saying to you guys, hey, you've heard the gospel. You've heard the good news. You've heard that Christ can change you. You've heard that Christ can redeem you. You've heard that Christ can save you from a devil's hell. He said, now listen, listen, you've heard the truth. You've heard the gospel. Now listen to the thing. Line up with it. 
So throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. So in other words, let the Holy Spirit change you. Let the Holy Spirit transform you. And so I love this whenever we baptize. I always say, hey, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in a newness of life. And so the thing is, is what we're saying is, hey, listen, whenever I put my faith in Christ, I'm asking Jesus to come inside of me, and I'm asking him to live inside of me, live through me, and to change me. I want to die to the old way of thinking, the old sinful nature. I want to crucify that flesh. I want to live a new life, empowered by the power of God. And so for every believer in the room that is still living the way you've always lived, and there's never been any change, what is going on? So for the believer, for the follower of Christ, we should be becoming more and more like Christ daily. There should be change taking place. There should be conviction. We, sh- we should feel broken over our sin, not justifying it, not making excuses, but that we go, you know what, man, I want to be more like Christ. So let's kind of keep digging here. So throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. See, and look, I like this next part too. It says, so stop telling lies. Let us all, let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we all are parts of the same body. So I think there's, there's something here that a lot of times what we do is we tell lies. We say, hey, well, you know what? My mom was that way, so I'm just like her. My dad was that way, so I'm just like him. I grew up in a bad home situation, Mike. You don't understand my environment. I'm a product of my environment. But the Bible says something different. The Bible says, that, hey, man, you become a new creation, that the power of God has the ability to overcome how your mama was, how your daddy was, how your grandparents were. It does not matter. And if you use that as an excuse, here's the thing, you're telling lies. If you're a believer. Now, if you're not a believer, then you say, you know what, I'm a product of my environment. That's the way everybody in my family was. They were all short-tempered. Hey, we're Italian. You know, that's just the way it is. That's a bunch of baloney for the Christian, for the believer. You might say, well, Mike, you just, you just don't know how we are, how, how my family, family, you don't know how we, we do things. That's just how we are. And here's what I'm telling you. That's not what Christ says. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and new has come. So we've got to be willing to say, you know what, God, help me to be living this new life in a way that honors you. It says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, let me just say this. There's some of you in this room that you're angry today. Now, I don't know what you're angry about. It could be a lot of things. Some of you may be angry because you're running late this morning. Some of you may be angry because somebody didn't drive the way you wanted them to on the way here this morning. There may be some deeper issues where you're angry because of your mom or because of your dad or because they weren't there. Or maybe they went through a divorce like the young lady I was talking about earlier. You're, mad, you're still mad at your mom and dad. Maybe you're angry at your spouse. Maybe they're not providing what you think they ought to provide. Or maybe they're not meeting the needs that you have. And so you're angry at them. What Scripture says is, man, don't let the sun go down on that. And, you're, you're, and I'm just saying, I know a lot of people that let a lot of suns go down over and over and over and over and it just it becomes bitterness and becomes anger, and soon it becomes rage. And they just explode. And maybe you're one of those where you don't say much, but all of a sudden, man, it's like a bomb goes off. And everybody's like, what in the world happened? It's because you're toting this anger around, and you're giving the devil a foothold. And so this scripture is speaking to every believer in the room 
Hey, listen, don't let anger continue to stay there. And here's the thing is it becomes a foothold for the devil. And what we do is we're, we're, you know, and I don't know if you know what a foothold is, but it's kind of like if the devil were down here and you're going to help him up on the stage, you would reach down and say, put your foot right there, and you're helping him up onto the stage. You're helping the devil into your life. You're pulling him into your marriage, and you're allowing this anger to become something that is literally a stepping stone for the devil. And what the Bible is saying, hey, listen, get rid of that anger. Let it go. Let it go. Move towards peace and forgiveness. Move towards reconciliation. Make sure that your marriage is strong, that it's healthy, that it's Christ-centered. So if anger gives a foothold to the devil, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. See, it's taking the focus off, off of us. A lot of times in this world, in this day and age, everybody's like, man, you don't want to do, work hard. You know, you want, you want to work smart. There's a time for that, but the Bible says over and over to work hard, to work hard, to earn your wages, to do what it takes. And so there's something good about sweating. I don't know if you guys realize that. Nobody wants sweat, you know, in the South especially. You know, we want a good air conditioning, and we, you know, and we don't want to sweat a whole lot, it seems like. But the thing is, is there's, there's some, some benefit to that, that work hard. And I would say working hard at your marriage. And we'll, we'll kind of unpack that a little bit here in a minute. But let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. All right, so it says, be careful about the words that you use. Now, some of you in this room, I'm sure y'all would say that you probably don't cuss or you don't use foul language because the Bible says not to do that, and you're a believer. And I'm, I'm assuming that there's a lot of believers sitting in the room, and hopefully, prayerfully, you don't use foul language or you don't cuss, right? Right? Yeah, that's, that's the way it's supposed to, supposed, supposed to be. So here's the thing is, you may not use foul language or cuss because that's what the Bible tells us we're not supposed to do. But what happens is a lot of times, I've been around a lot of Christians that they may not use profanity, they may not cuss, but they're constantly tearing at other people's fabric, at other people's character, at other people's lives. They're constantly belittling and putting down, they're shaming in them, you know, just ripping them apart, they're slandering them, if you will. And so there's so many times whenever Christians, you know, they'll even use it as a prayer request. That, hey, listen, we need to be praying for such and such because of this, this, this. And we don't even know if it's true. So therefore we end up gossiping about them. And so Christians are notorious for saying negative things instead of saying things that encourage and build up the body of Christ. We don't like this and we let people know what we don't like. We may not cuss about it, but we sure let them know what we don't like. We don't like the temperature. We don't like the music. We don't like the lights. We don't like this. We don't like that. We don't like the fact they're talking about money. We don't like, you know, and so we talk about things all the time. And so it, the scripture is pretty clear here. Let, let everything you say be good and helpful. Instead of tearing somebody down, maybe you ought to build them up. Try to find the positive in someone. You know, we all know people like this. They're, they're pessimists. They always seem to find the, the negative in something. And, you know, and they become naysayers. They become bottom dwellers. And, and I don't know about you, but if I hang around somebody that, like, like that very long, I become that person. I, I pick up those tendencies. I can go negative real south if I get around somebody that's real negative. Anybody else like that? Yeah. Most of us are. And so we've got to be careful. And look at these last, this last paragraph here. Get rid of all bitterness. All bitterness. So if you're, if you're toting bitterness around, I'm just telling you, these are relationship killers right here. Get rid of all bitterness. Rage. Rage is whenever we have lost it. Whenever you somebody, talk about snap, man, somebody's done snapped, that's rage. It has literally come out in an explosion. Now, we laugh about it, but I'm just telling you, the Bible calls it sin. 
So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words. Are your words harsh, mean-spirited, trying to destroy someone's character? Here's slander. That is destroying someone's character. As well as all types of evil behavior. God calls it what it is. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Let me ask you this. If, would your spouse characterize you with that first list or the second list? So listen to the second one. Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Or would your spouse say they're bitter, they're angry, they're full of rage, they're harsh, harsh words and slander and all other types of evil behavior? Hopefully, your spouse would be able to say you're in the second list. So in that song, like I said, there's a, there's a line that says, Babe, I love the way we work it out because that's what love is all about. We have to be willing to work it out. We've got to be willing to work, work in our, our relationship with God, but also working in our marriage. And so, number one, God calls us to die to self. And we're going to hit these fairly quick, but God calls us to die to self. It's not about me. It's, it's about me meeting the needs of my, my spouse. It's about me being willing to say, you know, God, it's not about me. It's about meeting the needs of others. But most of us, man, we're so selfish and we're so envious of other people and stuff. The Bible says, hey, listen, don't do that. Die to self. Crucify this flesh. The second thing, God uses relationships to reveal how we have offended God. I think this is important for us to remember that there are times that the things that we hate about someone else are really the things we hate about ourselves. And what God is using our relationship with someone else to show us is, you know what? We have offended God. And so the thing is, is what bothers me sometimes about someone is what God is saying, hey, listen, Mike, that's what bothers me about you. So God uses my relationships sometimes to reveal my offenses towards him. That I have sinned against him. I have been greedy or I have been jealous or I have been angry. And God has said, hey, listen, Mike, those things that you're aggravated with other people are the things that you've done to me. You ever think about how often, you know, we get frustrated with people and then we realize, you know what? I'm way worse than that towards God. So God uses relationships to reveal that. God will renew you through the power of his spirit. We've already read that up here. God will renew your thinking. If God changes your thinking, if he gets rid of that stinking thinking, and all of a sudden you begin to think about the things of God, here's the thing. It will change how you live. It will change your attitude. Instead of being envious of what others have, you begin to be thankful for what God has provided. Instead of being you know, selfish, you begin to think about others and how you might be able to bless them. Instead of always wanting more, you begin to realize, you know what, I want to give more. And so God, through his, the power of his Holy Spirit, will literally change our thinking. When he changes our thinking, he changes our attitude. God, this next one here, it says, God desires that we dump the evil behaviors that destroy relationships. I mean, you can read up there in Ephesians, it's pretty clear. You dump these, man, you begin to work on your relationship. And then the last one, God commands us to be Christ-like. God commands us to become more and more like Christ. And so Jesus, who is quick to forgive, then that, that says that, you know what, I've got to be willing to be quick to forgive. Now, I know in a relationship, oftentimes we'll have, we'll have one who is quick to forgive and one who is reluctant to ever say ever that they're sorry first. Right? Now, I don't know who that is in your relationship, but like Laurie and I, we know who that is. You know, we know who is quick, who is the first one to always say I'm sorry. We know who is stubborn. You know, we know that. And, and, but here's the thing. It doesn't make it okay that one is quick to forgive and one is stubborn. It means that we both should be working at being quick to forgive because who was? Christ was, right? So if I'm quick to forgive, if Laurie's quick to forgive, we're becoming more and more like Christ. So we've got to be willing to, to say, you know what, God, help me to become more and more like Christ. And then this, this next point here, lean into God's people for wisdom. 
there are times that we try to fix everything on our own. You know, and, and sometimes we just need some outside help. Sometimes you need a mediator. Sometimes you need someone who has been there ahead of you, someone who knows how to do that. Uh, I had a I had a four-wheeler that I was working on this past weekend, and, and I'm not super mechanically inclined, so I don't know how to rebuild a starter. And uh, I got a price on the, the, the starter for my four-wheeler. It was going to be $400, and I'm like, that ain't going to happen. And uh, so anyway, so I got the brushes and was going to rebuild it, and I got watching videos on YouTube. And the more that I watched, I was like, dude, that's out of my skill set. So I called a friend of mine who I knew had that skill set and I said, hey, listen, I need you to help me rebuild a, a starter. And uh, so he came over, and last night we sat up there, and we were literally taking that thing apart, trying to figure out how to put it together. And so before we, before I, he left last night, we were able to sit there and turn the key and crank it right up. I mean, it worked great. But you know what? I needed his skill set. I needed his what? His wisdom. I didn't have it. And I'm just telling you, there's some of you, you know, your marriage won't start. You know, you can't seem to get things going. You're, you're kind of messed up. You're broken down. But you won't say anything to anybody. You won't ask anybody. You let pride get in the way. And what you might need to do is go to somebody that, that their marriage is good and say, hey, listen, would you be willing to meet with us? Can we go to dinner one night? We'll buy your dinner if we could just ask a few questions and maybe get your perspective. Look at what it says in Scripture. It says, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. You know, we just kicked off life groups. Maybe you could get in a life group. And maybe there's some people in that life group that their marriage is maybe healthier than yours. And maybe they're a few steps ahead of you guys spiritually. And you're able to go, you know what, man, I want to learn from them. I want to draw from them. And maybe there, you know, there's some great parenting groups. Maybe you're having a tough time with your kids. You know, you're raising kids and you're trying to parent kids. That's tough. And, you know, I don't know if it ever gets any easier. It's like it just gets harder sometimes. And so you, you get in a group, you know, and you learn from somebody who has gone a little bit ahead of you. You find somebody who has walked the road ahead of you, and they can help you avoid some of those pitfalls. Look at this next passage here. It says, stay away from fools, for you won't find knowledge on their lips. Let me tell you part of the problems that I feel like I see in a lot of marriages. is Some of you guys and some of you ladies have surrounded yourself with fools. You're still wanting to hang out with friends that used to act like a fool. But yet you're in a marriage relationship and you're wanting to, you know, begin to try to live in a way that honors God. And that friend does not. And there's some of you guys that you say, well, you know what, man, I've been friends since we were whatever age. The Bible says there's times you have to say, you know what, knock the dust off, walk away, leave them behind. It's, it's going to be between them and God from this point on. And I'll just say this, when I got saved at the age of 19, there were some friends I had to say goodbye to. I still tried to witness to them. I still tried to share the gospel with them. But I knew I couldn't be around them. And I'm just saying there's some of you that you're listening to fools instead of God's word or wisdom that comes from those who are seeking God. You're still wanting to be cool, still wanting to hang out. Some of you ladies still doing the same thing with your friends. And you've got to be willing to say, you know what? I am committed to this marriage and I am committed to Christ. And so I'm going to pursue Christ and Christ is going to be the center of this relationship. And I've got to be willing to say no to some of these invites that I get. And I've got to be willing to walk away from some of those relationships. This last one here, this last point, God reconciled us to himself in Christ. God is all about reconciliation. And maybe there's some of you in this room today that your marriage is not where it needs to be. Maybe some of you in here today, it's hanging on by a thread. Maybe Valentine's Day was horrible. And you're angry. But I'm just telling you, God is all about reconciliation. Look at what it says here. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Amen. That is awesome. The old has gone. The new is here. If you're, a, if you're a new believer, if you put your faith in Christ, man, there's newness that comes with that. 
You're not the old person. You're not who. You're not the old environment. You're not the old. Hey, this is the way my mom and dad were. I'm a new person because of what Christ has done. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what I love, is not only did God reconcile us to himself, did he make us in right standing, but he says, hey, listen, I want you to be a voice, I want you to be a a, a witness of what I have done in your life. And I'll just tell you this, your marriage is one of your greatest witnessing opportunities. When we look at your marriage and you say, you know what, hey, it's the bride, it's the groom, you know, that's a picture of the church and Christ. And so whenever our marriage is healthy, it becomes literally a, a catapult, if you would, of us being able to share the gospel of, or the ministry of reconciliation. So all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What Paul is saying there. Is man we had blown it. We were messed up. But because of what Christ did on the cross. Because of what Christ did on the cross. His blood being applied to me. It's no longer what I have done. It is the righteousness of Christ that has been applied to my life. So I have been washed by the blood of Christ that washes away all sin. And for every believer in the room, if you have been washed in the blood of Christ, you have been washed and made clean. And what happens is too often we want to turn around and go back and get in the mud again. We want to go back and get into the dirt of life again. Whenever God is saying, hey, listen, I have called you out of that, and I'm calling you to live a life different. And so God reconciled himself to us, so we should always Always be about reconciliation. God is all about reconciliation, and we should be as well. If your marriage is strained, then work at reconciliation. If you feel like, you know what, hey, I need to go and apologize, then apologize. If you need to ask for forgiveness, then ask for forgiveness. And I'll just tell you this. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than to give forgiveness. It's real easy to say, hey, I'm sorry. You know, and sorry sounds like a cheap, a cheap word sometimes. Like, hey, it's just kind of a, you're kind of getting out easy here. But it's real easy to ask for forgiveness but the hardest thing is to give forgiveness. But here's the thing is God gave you forgiveness. He forgives you of the worst sin you've ever committed. So are you willing to forgive as he has forgiven you? A couple of next steps here. Number one is ask God's Holy Spirit to reveal any offense. I would encourage you to just say, God, will you reveal to me? Because he already knows the offense. God, will you reveal to me any offense today? that I need to confess to you and that I need to quit doing, quit sinning and turn to you. God, is there an offense that you've been trying to reveal to me that I have towards you that you've been trying to reveal to me through my relationships? Because there's things that I don't like about my marriage. God, are you trying to say that that's who I am? That I'm the one that has offended you in that way? And so just ask God, God, is there any offense I need to confess to you today? I need to make right today. And then here's another. Decide today to make Christ the center of your relationship. Every relationship. Decide today. You know what? I want, I want a God-centered relationship. I want Christ to be the very center of my marriage. And so today you make that decision. So you know what? From this point forward, today I'm going to chase after God. I'm going to seek Christ. I'm going to fall in love with Christ. And I'm going to pray for my spouse to do the same. 
You make your, that decision. Here's another one. Determine today to work as hard at your marriage as you do anything else. Marriage is hard work. But say, you know what? I'm going to work as hard at marriage as I do my golf game or my hobby or whatever it might be, my career, my education, whatever you put all this time, effort, and energy into. Say, you know what? I'm going to put just as much into that. And let me just say this for some of the moms and dads in the room that have got little kids. Put as much time, effort, and energy into your marriage as you put into your children. Too often we spend all of our time trying to get our kids on some team and we try to get them in some school and, and, we, and we go all, I mean, all overboard for our children. We won't do anything to invest in our marriage. And then one day those children will be gone and you won't really know the person that you're married to. You've got to be willing to invest and work hard at your marriage. It's the greatest thing you could ever give your child. It's not going to be sports. It's not going to be some education. It's not going to be stuff. It's going to be a loving home where mom and dad love each other and they're committed to one another and they love Christ. And then the last one there, register now, right now, for the Pursue God Marriage Conference. And make an investment in your marriage. Maybe today you say, you know what? i got a lot of other things going on. But you know what? My marriage is more important than those things are. And so you make that decision today. Relationships are tough. But if we'll meet in the middle, if we'll meet at Christ. I thought about this morning. You know, you've got Jesus on the cross. He's in the middle. He's got one criminal who realizes he's the way, the truth, and the life. You've got one who makes a mockery. Jesus said, hey, you will be with me in paradise today. The other one would be left out. Not because of what Jesus did, because of what he chose to reject. There may be some of you in this room today. I'm just telling you, man, Jesus is the only way to be able to have the marriage that we want and to be in right standing with God. I want to ask you, if you will, just to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you've never accepted Christ, you've never realized what Christ did on the cross, I want to encourage you to receive that gift of salvation today. For some of you in the room, that's your greatest need. You wonder why your relationships have always ended up broken. It's because Christ is not the center of them. You've wondered why it always seems to get off track. It's because you're not on the right track with Christ. And so maybe today, for some of you in this room, you realize, man, I need Jesus in my life, and I need Jesus in my marriage. And so I want to walk you through a simple prayer. But this prayer is the same prayer I prayed when I was 19 years old that changed my life forever. And this prayer goes like this. And this, it's not just the prayer that comes off your lips. It's the prayer of your heart. What it is, it's the surrender that takes place in your heart. It's giving up everything that you've got and receiving everything that God's got. And you say in your, to yourself, you can pray this prayer to yourself. Say, Jesus, I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you bled out your precious blood for my sins. And Jesus, I believe that you can save me. And Jesus, I believe with everything that's in me. I believe with everything that's in me that you can come in and change me. So, Jesus, I give you my life. Right now, with all the faith that I have, Jesus, I ask you to come in, into my life. Forgive me of my sins. And I want to quit living the way I've been living. I want to turn to you. That's repentance. So with everything that's in me, Jesus, I'm asking you to come and fill me with your spirit and teach me how to live for you. If you just prayed that prayer, 
The Bible says your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You become a child of God, part of His family. If you just prayed that prayer, I'm just telling you that will be the beginning step towards having a relationship with anybody, especially in your marriage, that God, that honors God. And so if you just prayed that prayer, if you don't mind, if you would, just raise your hand and say, Mike, I just prayed that prayer. Anybody in the room? Nobody's looking but me. Anybody? Right here. I see your hand. Anybody else? Right here. I see your hand. Anybody else? Right here. I see your hand. Praise God. That's awesome. If you're sincere in that prayer, here's the thing. You're his child. You're part of his family. And you're part of the church, the bride of Christ. So there's three, three, three people in this room that have said, hey, man, they prayed that prayer. That's awesome. If you're still sitting there and you're still wondering, hey, man, should I, is this something I want to do? I'm just telling you, it's the best decision you'll ever make, and it'll make the difference in every relationship. Everybody's heads bowed and everybody's eye closed. If you raise your hand, I just want you to look up here. Look up here at me. I saw your hand. And if you're sincere in that prayer, you're his child. Welcome to the family. But it's by faith only. It's not by works proud of you right here if you believe that with all if everything that's in you it's all faith it's nothing nothing else then you are his child you're part of his family and heaven's destination welcome to the family it's awesome right here if you raised your hand same thing if you are sincere it's by faith we're saved and in faith alone not by works you don't have to go out and try to earn it but here's the thing he is placed within all three of you men the Spirit of the living God lives within you. And so He will guide you and He will lead you from this point forward. That's His promise. That's His guarantee. And God keeps His word. He's going to do His part. Father, I thank You for these men that have put their faith in You. God, I thank You for salvation. God, I thank You for relationships. God, that You trust us with relationships. God, I pray that we would choose today, everybody in this room would choose today, that we want Christ-centered relationships. God, we want Christ-centered marriages. <clears throat> God, we want to honor you with our lives. God, I thank you for meeting with us today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. And Lord, I pray that you would use us this week as we go out to be ministers of reconciliation with the message of reconciliation. God, that you want to be in a great relationship, in a right relationship with every person. It's only through Christ that we find that. God, thank you for these three today that have found that here at Journey Church. In Jesus' name, amen.